0: Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, just thank you again for this time together. Lord, for your word and... and for time in it this morning. I pray that you would use it, that you would speak through me today to all of us here, the message that you've already prepared for us to, to hear. Lord, I pray, as Jeff prayed already this morning, that our hearts would be changed, that we would leave here even different than when we came in this morning, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Last week... Do you guys remember last week? It feels like a year ago. We had like two, three tornadoes pass by. It's no big deal. I mean, hey, Uh, if if you weren't here, um, we were here in the dark with a flashlight right here. The power had gone out. It was a little bit scary. It was a little bit scary for me. I don't know if you guys were scared, but I was a little bit anxious Um, uh, on the Sunday that God gave me a message of choosing faith over fear. <laughs> and then he said, are you going to do it? <laughs> and I was like, well, we didn't have any power. We didn't have any electricity. Let me just say that. We didn't have any electricity in the building. And we thought, you know what? Let's just go anyway. I'll put a flashlight here. We got, we got a guitar that doesn't really need any electricity to work it. And we sang a song. And as soon as we sang that song, the power came on. And it was like God was saying, "Do you love me enough to worship me even when it's not easy and comfortable?" And we were like, "Yes, we will stand here with a flashlight and sing a guitar with a guitar and and no air conditioning, which, by the way, it's freezing in here." <laughs> <Voice>. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah, All right. That's- and it, it was, it was if, if God said, are you willing to worship me even when it's not easy? And we responded with the, we're going to do it even if it's dark, even if it's humid, even if we don't have any power. And he said, great power. And it came back on. And I thought, whoa, I love those quick answers to prayer. I don't get them that often, but I really like them when we get them. Well, we looked at last week in Deuteronomy chapter 12. They're like on the verge of going into the promised land. I mean, I know it feels like it's kind of taken a long time to get there, but there's all this really important stuff that, that Moses needs them to know. And he says to them, when you go in, he's, remember he says right at the beginning of the chapter, he says, now here are the judgments and the statutes and commandments that God wants you to follow. And they're like, all right, give us all the rituals and give us all the practices and all the things. And he says to them, When you go in, destroy all the false idols, all the false temples, all the high places. Get rid of all of it. In fact, he says, God saying through Moses says, you will not worship me in the way that the pagans worship me. You will not worship me in the places that the pagans worship me. In fact, you will do it where I choose, and how I choose? You know, God says six times in one chapter, "You worship me where I choose." It's so important that God says, "I will choose where, and I will choose the way." He says it to them essentially because they were going into a place that was like a pagan temples and pillars and high places everywhere they turned. And it would have been so easy for them to say, well, I mean, there's already, a, there's already a temple here. Let's just go in. But God knows that if they were to do that, they would be uh, easily persuaded to turn in their worship of the one true God to start to bring in other things. And so he says, you won't do it in the way they do it. You'll do it where I choose and in the way that I choose. And for them, that was very, very important. Later on, as we talked about, Jesus will actually say, the where is a person, and it's me. And the way is still the way. Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the way to the Father. See, God was saying to them in Deuteronomy chapter 12, "Um, if you want to come into fellowship and relationship with God, you come to the place that I choose, and you do it in the way that I choose, and you don't do it any other way. Jesus will come and say, look, I'm fulfilling that thing that God has given you. Now I am the where and I am the way. There's still a way. It hasn't actually changed. You realize it hasn't actually changed because the way was God said, you will love me and you will serve me with all of your heart, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. He was saying, you will put me before anything else in your life. And Jesus says, the same is for me. You will worship me only. In fact, he says, "I am the only way to come to the Father. There is no other way that man may come to the Father. There's no other way." Jesus says, "I am still the way." He still hasn't given him them any rituals or practices or anything that they were dying to follow. He was saying, "You get rid of all the false stuff and you worship me only and always wherever I choose." The thing is that. The reason I think that he keeps on going over and over where I choose, where I choose, because we have a problem. We have a problem. We don't like to be told what to do. We don't like it. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. And and I believe that when they're like, well, I mean, yeah, but Moses, look, 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 I can see temples right here. Can't we just go and worship there? And he says, no, you tear them down. Later on, and we're not going to get there today, probably, but in chapter 14, he's going to say, here are all the food, uh, all the animals you cannot eat. You can eat these, but you can't eat these. And we could spend so much time going through that list and trying to figure out, well, why would he say you can eat a cow, or an ox, but you can't eat a pig? Why? Well, because you know, because, you know, because they didn't have a way to properly clean or cook or whatever. And there, maybe there's some validity to all those things. But really what it comes down to is God was saying, can you just obey me? Can you be obedient to what I say? Or do you have to question everything I say and figure it out? Because that's what we want to do. Why do I have to worship in the way? Why can't I come to God in the way that I want to come to God? Don't all roads lead to God? Do all roads lead to God? No, they don't. There is a way, there is the way, and it is Jesus, but people don't like that. There can't be just one way. That's crazy, just one way to God. Here's the deal, gang. It's a miracle that there's even a way for us to come into relationship with God. We think, well, we deserve many ways. No, we don't. We've been trained to think that we deserve all of this stuff. I mentioned this weeks ago. Look at every commercial. You deserve the iPhone 13. No, you don't. (laughs) We don't deserve. You don't want to know what we deserve. You know, God says, wipe out all that stuff you're going into. Because there's going to be all of this opportunity for you to worship pagan gods. I know you think you're not going to be deceived. I know you think you think. I, I know you think you're strong, but you're not strong. You're going to go in and you're going to be influenced by everything that you see around you. And I'm not making that up. Let's just flip through a couple of more chapters. Go to Judges. Go to Kings. Find out did they actually become influenced and worship other pagan gods? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. We looked at last week, even Solomon built temples to pagan gods at the end of his life, including Molech, where they would burn their children on the idol's fiery hands. Oh man, are we so easily swayed? We are. That is why he goes through. Now, he goes now 13, there's a shift in chapter 13. That's where, okay, so let's start. Chapter 13, there's a shift. All of a sudden, all this time, he's been talking about pagan gods and, and pagan worshipers and their temples, and now there's a shift in who the enemy is right now. In verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse one, if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and he gives you a sign or a wonder, stop, who's the new threat that he's talking about right there? What does it say? What's the clue? If there rises among you, Among you. See, all of a sudden now the enemy that's the biggest threat is the one that comes from within them. And he's going to go on through this chapter and say, This is how you have to deal with the enemy that rises up within or among you. He says, If he rises up among you, the dreamer of dreams, he gives you a sign or a wonder. And the sign or the wonder comes to pass. What? Wait a minute. Can that happen? Can a, a can a false prophet, can a, a dreamer of dreams that isn't of God, create uh, or produce a sign or a wonder? Well, two things. Um, maybe. The sign or the wonder that he's talking about the thing that might happen that per- would persuade them maybe it's a trick maybe it's an illusion maybe it's a clever kind of thing that the person does because it's going to say here what their goal is to draw you away from what the truth is right this isn't someone coming to you with a sincere question like well you know i don't know about this whole god thing can you explain it to me it's not like you pick up a rock and you kill that person this is the person that is trying to draw you away from worshiping the God you know to a God that you don't know. But how did signs and wonders happen? Did they happen? Did they, were they done by people who weren't of God? Well, I, I, I think two, two different directions here. One is there probably were some very clever illusionists as we have now, right? Do you ever see, do you guys know David Copperfield? I mean, if you're, if you're you know, as old as I am, Or older. You know David Copperfield, he's this illusionist. I once saw him do a TV special where he made an elephant disappear. And, and this is how it went. He had, he had all of these people, that volunteers, standing in a, in a circle holding hands, and they brought this big elephant in. This, in comes this elephant, stands in the middle of them, right? And then David Copperfield comes in, and he raises up this curtain, and he does all kinds of, you know, fancy hand motions. <laughs> and then the curtain drops, and the elephant is gone. And everyone standing in the circle is like, oh. <gasps> Oh, my goodness, he made an elephant disappear. Well, this is what I learned. I watched a a video that showed how they do that trick, how he did that trick. And, and, hey, maybe you'll be surprised to know (laughs) that everybody in that circle holding hands was in on that trick. Because when he raised up the curtain they let go of their hands and the trainer walks the elephant off the stage while the camera goes the other way around so as the camera's going around out goes the elephant and they come around like this and then everyone's like wow and the whole thing was designed to make you think that something that wasn't true was actually true and so and we're so easily fooled because i you know personally me i believe every single magic trick i ever see and I'm like, clearly there's a, that guy, I think David Blaine has a deal with the devil. But then you see that everybody on that show is in on the trick. Everybody. There's no magic. That's an illusion. He's designed it to fool you from what is actually true from what you know to be true. He says, I've just created this illusion to fool you. And so no longer do you think what's true is true or false is true or whatever. You know what I mean. That's one thing, and maybe that was some of it. However, I do also believe that there were some things going on that were supernatural that weren't from God. You remember when Moses went into the Pharaoh's kingdom, and Janus and Jombri, those were the magicians of the, of the Pharaoh, Moses came in with his, his uh, staff and he threw it down and it became a snake. And they' were like, "No big deal. But they threw down their sticks, and their sticks became snakes. Now, his stick ate their sticks. Then Moses went down to the river, and he turned the Nile River to blood. Well, they came on down, and they turned water into blood as well. You know what they didn't do? (laughs) They didn't turn the Nile, which was blood, back into water. That would have been really impressive. Well, they did some version of it, a smaller version of what God had done. Moses made frogs rise up in such great number out of the Nile River that they went into every. I mean, frogs everywhere. Do you remember when we talked, it was like, frogs here and frogs there. And open a pot and there's frogs. And get in your bed and there's frogs. And there's frogs everywhere. And Janice and Johnberry were like, we could do that too. And they, they produced some frogs. Some frogs. And it wasn't until Moses turned the dust in the ground into fleas that they were like, that's beyond us. This is the finger of God. But they were able to do either tricks or some miraculous work that would cause the people to say, because this person can do something miraculous, whatever they say must be true. There's the danger. Whatever you say now must be true because you did. Do you know so often Jesus would teach first and then he would say, so that you know what I say is true, you're healed. Rather than to do some great act and then say, now you'll believe. But this is saying, if someone from among you does some amazing work and then says, let us go after other gods, and Moses inserts this, which you have not known and serve them. So it's like the person is saying, let's go after other gods and serve them. And so they do some miraculous thing that gets your attention that says, look, I know something. I have magical powers. So what I say, you should believe. Let's go after other gods and serve them. That's their intention. Do you see what their intention comes up more than once? I want you to, I learn, I know something new. I have new revelation. I have a new doctrine that I think we should go after. Well, Moses says in verse three, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. I want you to notice like, like, that, when you read that, she's like, oh, God is, is testing me so that he knows whether I love him or not. But I don't think that's what he means because he doesn't say, I'm testing you so that I know whether you love me. God already knows your heart, doesn't he? He already knows their heart. He's testing them so that they will know whether they love God with all their heart and whether they love him with all their soul. Remember, I said a few weeks ago that we're like teabags. We don't know what's inside until we get put in hot water. So the challenge is when you get in hot water, are you observing what's coming out? It's it's, it's testing. It's proving. The word in in the New King James is he's proving you. I really like that actually. He's proving you so that you will look and say, oh my goodness, do I love the Lord with all of my heart and with all of my soul? That's a, 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 a moment of examination To say, if I'm looking at myself, all of a sudden, uh, you know, am I being drawn away or do I love God? And if I don't love him with all of my heart and all of my soul, what do I need to do? It's like all of a sudden you recognize uh, I was here with God going this way. But all of a sudden I realize I'm off over here. I need to do what? Stop. Turn. Go back to God. What's that called? Repentance. That's what, he's, that's what the testing is for. That's what the proving is for. He's saying, this is so that you know whether you love God with all of your heart. Are you making him preeminent in your life? Because if you're not, you're going to end up wandering off. Now, thankfully, God gives them the opportunity to repent and come back. He made a way for them to be forgiven. It's already been set up, the system of sacrificial uh, forgiveness or the shedding of innocent blood that would cover their sins. There was an opportunity for them to do that. God is gracious and merciful and amazing. Verse four says, you shall, okay, here's the thing. Um, I, I tend to mark, underline, make notes, all those things in my Bible. If you do that, this is a really great verse because it is jam-packed full. One verse. Remember, this is coming right after he says, you need to um, uh, examine to see if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul. It's a, it's a test for you to know. And if you uh, don't, if you are realizing that you're not loving God with all of your heart and all of your soul, this is what you need to do. Verse four, and it's so full. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast. There's so much in that one verse. Walk after the Lord. It means to pursue God. That's what that means, to walk after the Lord. You are to pursue God. God, if you realize that you've wandered away, that you've been drawn away, and that you're not making God preeminent in your life, you are to pursue God. That's your first step. And then you are to fear God. Now, if this is your first day here and you've never heard this before, fear doesn't mean you're supposed to be afraid of God. It means that you're supposed to revere him. That means you hold him in awe, that you understand that he is the God of the universe who created everything by speaking it and holds it together in the palm of his hand by his sheer willpower and, by the way, knows your name because he created you. That's the God that we are to pursue And keep his commandments. That means that you are to follow or observe his instructions. We've been looking at that. Commandments in Hebrew means instructions. And obey his voice. How many of you here have heard God speak out loud? Some. That's pretty cool. Some of you have heard God's voice, and that's cool. Some of you are like, what's that even sound like? Does it sound like Morgan Freeman? For those of you who have heard him speak out loud, if that's true, if you could let me know later, that'd be cool. For those of you who are much, much older, George Burns—that's <laughs> an old reference. I, I, you know what? It might, maybe it'll surprise you. To know that I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I hear him speaking to me all the time. It's in my head. It sounds like my own voice. Sadly. <laughs> But here's how I know the difference. God tells me to do things that I wouldn't naturally do. Those are the times when he's like, hey, you see that person over there? Why don't you go and talk to them about the Jesus? And I'm like, no, I I wouldn't naturally do that. But I'm learning to be uh, surrendered to God. So when he says to that, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go and talk to that person. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, whatever it is that I wouldn't naturally do. I hear that voice in my head and I'm like, that's God talking to me, talking to me. But God says of something like, because, you know, I'm pretty selfish. I like my own time. I like my time for an I get up in the morning and I come here to work or whatever. Uh, and uh, I want to get coffee and I want to get going on the day. And God says, how about getting in the word? Okay you're right. You're right. I'm going to do that. And he says, also, here's a verse. I want you to text it to 16 different people this morning, right now, before you do anything else. Now, if you've gotten a text like that from me, that's because God told me to send it to you. It's not because I'm an amazing person and I'm thinking of everybody and I'm just like, this is totally going to make their day. It's because God says, hey, you know what? Why don't you send something to encourage this person? That's how I hear God. And, And I have to do that. I have to I have to obey his voice. Then it says, you shall serve him. Does anybody not know what that means? Serve God? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe some of you don't. Clean toilets? Here? Maybe. One of the things that we talk about being a part of a local church, why it's important is so that you can serve God through the church. Right? Uh, An an incredible blessing is to serve God through service in the church. You know, show up and say, How can I help? What can I do? I don't have kids in the ministry, but I certainly could help you out. You're welcome. (laughs) I can't sing, but I can put up a flag. Or I can come and help Julia, who comes here every single week and voluntarily cleans this place for nothing. I can come and help her. Uh, that might, I don't know if she wants your help, so you have to check with her on that, but serve. It's so important to serve, and it doesn't have to be in this church. It could be out of here. It could be anywhere. It could be listening to God's voice and saying, I will go and do whatever it is that you've called me to do because I'm trying to obey. I'm trying to, be, I'm trying to hear your voice. And then lastly, he says, hold fast to him. Right here, I, I, in Hebrew, this word is cling. Cling to him. After all of this, cling to him. You know, it's like he just wants you to come on and grab on and be like, wherever you're going to go, I'm going to go. And you're just holding on and going wherever God's. God's like, well, I'm going this way now. And you're just like, okay, I'm clinging on because I'm going wherever you're going. Cling to him, Moses says. Verse 5, it says, but the prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God. Don't don't be put off just yet that this says put them to death. First of all, I want to point out to you that that doesn't mean you turn around and you just blow them away to them. This indicates that there was a process, a trial that would come to pass. Okay, we're going to come back to this a little bit. But their purpose is, notice their purpose is their intent on turning you away from the God who has called you out, the God that is leading you into the, the promised land here, he's saying. Their intent is to turn you away to other gods. He's going to keep on saying, gods that you don't know. Gods that you don't know. <laughs> it's so Crazy to me, actually, that he has to say, they're going to turn you away. To to say that, turn you away from gods that you don't know, implies that there is a God that they do know. The one that has brought them out of bondage. It's, it's, It's crazy because they might look at this and say, well, I did a little comparison on this note. True God that they know versus false God that they don't know true God that they know, they could see his presence. Going through the wilderness, pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, Um, hear his voice, fire on top of the mountain. He spoke to them. They heard his voice. They benefited from his provision, right? Manna, quail, water from a rock, clothes that didn't wear out, Shoes that you didn't have to replace. They benefited from all, these are just a, a few of the things that they benefited from. Uh, victory over these kings. Remember King Og, the guy that had the huge, you know, bed, the giant, the victories that he gave them. They benefited from the God that they knew versus the God that they, virtually no experience with pagan gods. Uh, nothing supernatural. Uh, they hadn't received any benefit from foreign pagan gods. They had been told multiple times to stay away from them, and yet these pagan gods will still seem intriguing to them. They'll be like, "Ah, oh, you know, all this time, like, oh, we, we hear God. Okay, don't just destroy all the pagan gods, all the temples. Don't be involved with any of that." And then they're going to get in there and be like, "Hmm." I do like what you've done with that God there. And they become intrigued with these gods. And I'm thinking, they had all of this evidence, fire in the sky and provision, all this, and yet they are still gonna be turned to worship pagan gods. I think, those foolish Israelites. And, And that's when God goes, yeah, really? Hard on the Israelites? You have the sun that rises every single day. You have the moon that comes up when the sun goes down. Now I get it, it's not going this and this, the earth is doing this. I get that. He says you have an ocean that only, why does the ocean only come so far? The the globe is mostly ocean, and yet somehow it only comes to a certain point and then stops. Guess what happens to your body when you break a bone? It heals itself. That's a miracle. Guess what happens when someone bumps into my car and puts a dent in the fender? Doesn't fix itself. Wouldn't that be cool? Maybe, maybe Tesla will come up with that. Self driving, self healing cars. You'll get banged in, you'll be like, ah, just, don't worry about it. In like four weeks, that'll be gone. There isn't anything man made that does that. There, there's nothing man made that heals itself. Only things that are God made can do that. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. We have just as many miraculous things to look at, to see and to behold that they did. And yet we also get drawn away. We also get pulled away. I try, try not to be so hard on the Israelites. That's a message to me. That's what God was telling me. Don't be so hard on those Israelites. <laughs> ah. He says that they're trying to draw you away from the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage and enticed you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. Put away in Hebrew means eradicate. Destroy completely. Put an end to Paul would put it this way in Ephesians chapter four, make no place for the devil. Make no place for the devil. If you have an NIV Bible, it says either foothold or opportunity, but I like place because it's broad. It means make no place for the devil. In verse six now, if your brother, the son of your mother, this is ironic actually, because my brother's here today dude, sorry, if your brother, the son of your mother, the, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom or your friend who is of your own soul, that means your very closest best friend, secretly entices you saying, let us go and serve other gods which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers, of the gods of the people which are all around you, near to you, or far off from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. That's That's harsh. That's harsh, isn't it? I mean, you look at that and be like, holy cow, Moses. Holy cow. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Holy moly. (laughs) Moses, that's really harsh. And and first of all, you have to understand, I'm going to explain some things for you. In order to really understand and and grasp the harshness that's being talked about and how to deal with these kinds of things in chapter 13, you have to have really read chapter 12. Luckily, in this church, we go through chapter by chapter by chapter. And so we don't get confused about things like in chapter 13 because we know that what this is talking about, the other gods in the lands that are around you are what? According to chapter 12, worship practices that involve killing their children on fiery, hot, burning altars to false gods. So if I was to say to you, if I was to paraphrase this passage right here to say, if a friend or a brother or your cousin or a close friend came to you and said, You know, I've been listening to something, and I think they're really on to something, this religion they've got going on here. I mean, yes, okay, it involves the fact that I have to take my children and kill them and sacrifice, but I think I'm going to do it. You would be appalled. In fact, you probably would say, I can't let that happen. I have to turn you in. I have to do something drastic because I just can't think of the idea of you actually being okay with killing your children in the sacrifice of some false God. Does that make sense? Do we all feel like at least some kind of drastic action I would have to take in a situation where someone came and said, Oh, you know, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna, you know, kill my children. Well, we would take action. So this verse doesn't seem quite this, these verses don't seem quite as as shocking when you see it in the light of the context of what he's talking about. Context is extremely important. What he's saying is that there's drastic action. Now also you need to understand at this time, the Israelites are one group all together, moving all in one spot. They They are the ones who are in authority over the moral law as well as the civil law. They control all the law that involves them. Later on, in Jesus' time, they are no longer in authority over civil law. They no longer have authority over civil law. The Romans are in charge of civil law. They are still in authority of their own moral law, as are we. The Bible here isn't advocating that you, um, you some, when someone comes to you and says, hey, you know what, let me tell you about this other God I know, this Mormon God or this Jehovah Witness God or whatever it is, that you yank them inside and you, you know, beat them with stones... Because we're no longer in authority over that kind of civil law. Jesus has a different approach altogether, actually. But he is saying, but we still deal drastically with false teaching. Here, what he says though is that there's a process. Just because they're a relative, you just because they're a close friend you have to look at what it is that they're trying to do. You see what he says? Their intent is to draw you away. And God would say, it is much more, your eternal soul is much more important to me than any one life. So it's so important that if they come to you and what's it say? Secretly try to entice you. Secretly try. What does that tell you? That, well, there's some, they know deep down somewhere in there, because remember, this is someone from among them that have been taught about the one true and living God. There's something about what they're telling you that they know maybe isn't quite right, so they come to you secretly to try and entice you and draw you away, that you are to expose that, that they were to expose them. And then it says that this indicates that there is a process, and if they are found guilty of blasphemy, uh, that they are to be killed. And, and here's the thing, this says that the one who brings that person forward, the one who accuses that person, is the one that ha- whose hand is first in the process. That person, they're gonna be stoned. It says, that person is the one to throw the first stone. That means that anybody that would accuse somebody would be really sure because it was gonna be all on them, that first stone, all on them. You know that story in the Bible Where they bring that woman who was caught in the act of adultery before Jesus. One thing that always strikes me about that story is where's the dude? I mean, if they caught her in the act, they say, Where's the other where's the where's the other person that was caught in the act? They don't bring that guy out, but they bring this woman out, and and they're ready to stone her. And and you know, uh Jesus kind of pulls this this and he says, Okay, if you're without sin. You are the one who has to throw the first stone, and he scribbles something on the ground, and we don't know what it is, and there's all kinds of fun speculation. He wrote down all their sins or he you know drew a picture or he, I don't know what he did. Nobody knows what he did it doesn't matter what he did. It doesn't matter what he wrote there because whatever it was, they were all convicted, and they dropped their stones from the oldest to the youngest. It was the oldest guys first because they were like had maybe the, the most amount of time <laughs> to review and be like, "Oh gosh, I, I really don't qualify." <laughs> and drop their stones and verse 10 says and you shall stone him with stones until he dies because he sought to entice you away from the lord your god who brought you out of the land of egypt from the house of bondage verse 11 so all israel shall hear and fear and not again do such wickedness as this among you Right here, this is God saying, if you do it, even if you hold to this, this action will be a deterrent to everyone else in the land of Israel. All of the other Israelites will hear that this is the penalty for this, and it will act as a deterrent to, to stop them from doing that. We have come to a place where we... Just, just discipline in general. Just discipline in general. You know... Um, If your children know that there's no discipline attached to bad behavior, they're very likely going to continue the bad behavior. But if they know that if they're naughty, they likely will get some kind of discipline. My kids got a spank. I'm sorry if that offends you, but God, my daughter's like, "Mm mm-hmm. on the backside where God gave them extra fleshy parts. And it was a deterrent. And you know what? When when my daughter was little and, and she realized that she was about to get a spank, she became a master negotiator. Mommy, 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 wait, mommy, wait, mommy, mommy. Because she knew what was coming. And after a while, we didn't have to anymore. It was a deterrent. We know that this kind of thing, we know that punishment is a deterrent. God God established it. He said that this will work. Now he says, verse 12 here is a result of what happens if you don't Practice what he's telling you to do, okay? In the individual, if an individual comes to you and you don't do this, verse 12 on, this is what is a result of it. If you hear someone in one of your cities, which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in, saying, corrupt men have gone out from among you, enticed the inhabitants of the city, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known, then you shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently... And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of the city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that is in it and its livestock with the edge of the sword. And you shall gather all its plunder into the middle of the street and completely burn it with fire, the city and all its plunder. For the Lord your God, it shall be a, it shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again if they were disobedient into dealing with the individuals, those individuals would creep into the cities and start to infect the entire city. And pretty soon you've got an entire city that is brought to destruction. And and it's not a casual glance. You see what it says? You shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently. There was a process involved with going in, but they would, you know, they would say, "Corrupt men have gone out from among you, gone into these cities, and now they've corrupted the entire city. And the only thing left to do with that city was to, to, to kill everyone with the sword, gather up everything that was in that city, and burn all of it for the Lord." It says, and leave it as a a heap, a heap of, of ruin, right there. And so. The idea was that no one should benefit from the destruction of a corrupt city. They weren't allowed to go in and take any of the gold or silver or livestock or anything. It all had to be destroyed, burned up uh, unto the Lord, it says, and left in a heap. The word heap there um, in Hebrew is a tell. It's a tell. It's spelled T-E-L, but it it struck me like T-E-L-L, like that heap of ruin would tell a story to anyone who saw it. It was supposed to be left there. In fact, you can go to Israel and see several heaps that are still there, and it would be a tell. This, this city was a corrupt city that ended up having to be destroyed, and there was no benefit. The reason they didn't want any benefit associated with it, so no one would falsely accuse the city, just so that they could then go in and plunder all of its gold and livestock and everything. It was to be able to say, um, you need to eradicate pagan and false worships that will what draw you away from the worship of the one true god right paul will later say the same thing well he will say a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump right a little bit of leaven that means a little bit of sin left unchecked will infect the entire lump i like lump i do because well that's us (laughs) you're a lump I'm a I'm a lump. Some of us are more lumpy <laughs> than others. <laughs> it was drastic, but it wasn't casual. You see the it's 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 examined closely examined so that it could be determined that this city is corrupt and needs to be completely destroyed, left at a, in a heap. <clears throat> it says so none so none of the accursed things shall remi- remain in your hand this, this he says even when you go in you can't take any what's what's whatever's left you can't take any of it because whatever's left over whatever's there will be considered cursed accursed things now unfortunately they they all agree they go into the promised land and no sooner did they all agree that they go in to the promised land in Joshua chapter seven I'm going to turn there and they go after the city of Jericho you know the story right it's it's pretty it's a pretty well known story the the city of Jericho and they go in and the and the city is destroyed by them marching around and God causes the walls to fall down but what it says here in chapter seven um, that Achan the son of Carmi the son of well these guys blah 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 took The accursed things. He went in and he took the accursed things when the city had gone down. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. You see what happens is that he took the accursed things and he started to corrupt the entire camp of the Israelites. You know what? But what were the accursed things? Well, it says here. That when they finally it finally came to light, like like God said to Moses or to Joshua, you know somebody in your camp has got accursed things. And so they they basically they narrowed it down. They got everybody and they were like, "Was it you? Was it you? Was it you?" And they got it down to just basically Achan. And they're like, "Achan, do you have accursed things?" And Achan answered and he said, "Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils beautiful Babylonian garments." And two hundred shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing fifty shekels. I coveted them and took them, and there they are hidden in the earth and the midst of my tent and and, and underneath. It. And so he took the things and he buried it. And so when he is found out, he's sorry. When he's found out, he's sorry. See, the thing is, time had passed. It wasn't going well for the Israelites. They actually get defeated in their battle of Ai because, in part that there were accursed things in the camp and he doesn't say anything. He had all of that time to come and say, Oh, it was me. I'm sorry. Here, here, take it all back. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He doesn't do it until he's confronted. So he's not really sorry. He did it. He's sorry. He got caught. That's not the same. That's not the same thing. And God says, no, you can't take any of the accursed things. He had warned them already. Look. When I read this and I sat with this and I was like, "Lord, there's there's you have something, you have something for us in this message. It's more than just a history lesson." And he said, "You're right, I do." Because here he's talking about the enemy among them. And he says, "You know what? The most dangerous enemy, the one that had to be most harshly dealt with, was the one enemy that was within them, among them. And he says, it's still the same. It's the same for us. I don't mean like in this room, like (laughs) it's that guy right there. No, I mean within each of us. He says the things that are in you that are causing you to be drawn away, our fleshly desires to worship at the pagan altars that are surrounding us from the north to the south to the east to the west, those are the things that we have to drag out and that we have to utterly destroy. If, we're, if you're a follower of Jesus, he says... Um, look, look in, examine a question, uh, examine yourself and see what things are in your life that are causing you to be drawn away from the worship of the one true God. And whatever those are, you need to utterly destroy those things. And I don't need to sit here and give you a list of those things. I could, but it would be mostly a list from my own life. But I know that a lot of the things in my life that I have to deal with are probably some of the same things that you have. And some of the things that you have aren't the the same things as me. (laughs) But they're real. And if you don't know what they are, then you have to search them out. Inquire. Ask diligently of the Lord to say, please reveal the things in my life that that I know, but I don't want to admit. But bring them out to me, obviously, so they can be utterly destroyed and set aside. and, And I can repent of those things and come back so that I can have relationship with you. Now, that's if you're a follower of Jesus already. But if you're here today and you're listening to me, or you're online and you're hearing this, and you have not made Jesus your Lord and Savior, your life is that corrupt city that has to be completely destroyed and laid in a heap at the feet of Jesus. And you need to take nothing None of the corrupt items from your past life with you into a new life with Jesus. But it is that burning away of and coming to Jesus and say, please forgive me and burn away my old life and make me a new creation, which the Bible says he will do if you ask him to do it. It says, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I've realized that I am a corrupt city trying to worship God in whatever way I feel, trying to follow every kind of pagan. We call it pagan in the Bible, but it's just worldly stuff. Any worldly way, you know, any, any path that I could find that gets me to God. And it's a corrupt city. Your life is a corrupt city. But there's hope, see? There's hope because you can burn that city into, a, into a, a heap. In fact, many of us have done that because we've accepted Jesus and everything. And our past life is a tell. Isn't it? It's a tell. It's a way for us to say, you know what? I was just like you. I was just like you. I did those same things. I went to those same places. I felt those same feelings. But you know what? I gave it all to God and he burned it all up and left it in a heap at the cross of Jesus Christ. And now it's a tell so that it can be shared with everybody else. So we've got two groups. Those who are following Jesus, but maybe are being secretly enticed away. Those things that are secretly enticing you away, you let them go. You, you, you drag them out and you, you utterly destroy them and you repent and you go back to Jesus. And we have the other group, those who haven't accepted Jesus yet are living, their life is a corrupt city. It has to be heaped up, piled up, burned and destroyed, left for the Lord. Take nothing from that life with you and move on into what the Bible refers to as the promised land or for the Christian, the abundant life in Jesus Christ. The way. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this word today. Lord, I thank you for the for the wisdom that you shared with me this week and even minutes ago uh, as I came up here to share. Lord, uh, thank you for using me in this way. Lord, Uh, My prayer is the same as I hope everyone's prayer is, Lord. If there is anything in my life that is corrupt, that's enticing me away from worshiping you fully and preeminently, Lord, please bring it to mind so that I might utterly destroy it and leave it in a heap at your feet. Oh, Lord, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, like are trying to make their way in a corrupt city of their life, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would bring it forth, and they would say, I've searched it out even this morning, and I see that my life is a, is a corrupt city, Lord. Please let me leave it in a heap. Let me, let me invite you in to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. And let my corrupt past life be a tell to all who look in to my life now. Thank you, Jesus. In the name we pray. Amen. Amen. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org.